Welcome to What's Your Beef, a Beef Australia production. Each week we will introduce you to people living and working in the beef community and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic triennial event. Hello, I'm Jane Cudahy and this is What's Your Beef. From sharing a childhood to cramped living quarters to a business, sisters Casey Bowie and Sarah Anning are the gold star example of making family businesses work. The dynamic duo grew up around Western Queensland's Hewenden district and have built a paddock-to-plate frozen food business called Blackrock Beef. In this episode, we delve into how they built their business and what is slowing up their distribution, and the reason will surprise you. They also give a very candid reason as to why the storytelling aspect of the beef supply chain is an elephant in the room for our industry. We started our chat around how they worked out their roles within the business. And the first voice you'll hear is Casey's. Yeah, it came about naturally. We started trying to take an even share of both and and um, actually having a few fights about it. That, you know, happens, siblings working, living, socialising, everything together. And then eventually, yeah, just fell into place. We're like, well, you know what, this is your strength and this is mine. So let's just call it yeah, in. We just play to our strengths. And, did, and you, did you have something to add there, Sarah? No, that's it. We just really just lent into our strengths and it was pretty easy to recognise that I was not going to be in charge of the social media because I've got about six Instagram posts and Casey's, you know, she is great at writing scripts. She loves connecting with people. She loves marketing. She loves tracking the results of that marketing as well. And I'm just like probably more bigger picture focused numbers, that sort of thing. But as we've each taken maternity leave and we've had to – fall into each other's roles as well so you know not only doing like what we you know taking the lion's share at each time um I think we both just got a new appreciation of each other's roles in that as well it's not like I won't touch the social media and you know, KSC runs scripts past me or runs ads past and we look at the how it's tracking how it's like you know landing into the market together and if I've got to do anything, you know, Casey will probably be there in the background like, yeah, you can do this. Come on, you, you tell them. You've got this. And <laughs> yeah, if I've had hyping me up in the background, probably yeah. got more shakes than me. But, you know, it's good to have that background support. And then I can say, did you hear that? Did you hear how good I just like how well I handled that? Thank you. <laughs> and so we have definitely um, like a newfound appreciation for each other. Well, it's not really new, I guess. We've been going for a while now. But, um, yeah, definitely honing on, like, in on our individual skills. And, and then appreciating that from each other. Yeah, yeah. And then I see, like, man, I cannot do, like, I do not want to reply to that many comments. You are so good for doing that and caring. I, I couldn't. So you're the more the generic, you know, when there's the birthday posts. Casey will be the one individually replying to everyone that's wished her happy birthday and you're the thanks, everyone, for your lovely messages kind of thing. Honestly, <laughs> If I get on to say thank you, I'm like, did I have it's for birth? Oh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, no. okay. I can I can actually except, completely appreciate where you come nephews, from. That's a totally different ball game. My my nephews get all the birthday love and attention, <laughs> and you know, that's, that's my prerogative as an auntie. That's where I get to direct that energy. Exactly. That's perfect. Look, and we will come back. There's a fair bit that I want to unpack in what you just said, but I feel like we've skipped a few steps because, as you say, BlackRock's been around for a while, but I really love the origin story because it is so home-based and so family-based, which you both, you know, hold quite dearly. So can we go back to how this idea was conceived? And I remember speaking to you both um, about the fact that you were living together and in each other's space you know, for quite a while during your early 
early twenties, <laughs> and this amazing idea blossomed from that. So, could could you take us through that? There's got so it. many different elements that brought like that conceptualized Blackrock beef. Um, you know, our dad has been talking about value adding on beef for very many many years around the table. You know, had all these different ideas since we were little. I'm pretty sure since we first moved out to Wongalee and. Um, the other thing was is that, you know, mum has been making these meals and putting them in the freezer for all our life. You know, she'd um, take a kill to town and we'd get it back and she'd cook all these, she'd cook all the beef so that there was, you know, ready meals in the freezer for those, um, you know, crazy late night mustering finishes and she's got four kids to feed and ringers and, you know, there would be food in the freezer ready to go and then Sarah and I went down to um, Gold Coast pursuing different careers and, um, in those careers, we were, um, you know, kind of side hustling and cooking meals for um, families that we were working for. And so, when you said, of- sorry, you were nannying, weren't you? You're were both nannying down there while you were studying or doing other things. So when you say that so you're I packaging, was more nannying, and yeah. Casey was definitely doing. She was nannying as well, but yeah, mine was sort of not. Uh, my cooking was not as revered as hers. I must admit, like <laughs> it's good, but it wasn't like okay, please, can we just enjoy you to cook? No. <laughs> At least you're honest. I, I like your honesty. And nothing's changed. No, nothing has changed. She's still it's really good and I just, oh, I'm a really great eater. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sarah does make the prize pumpkin scone though. I can't hold a candle to her pumpkin scone so we'll put that out there. Oh, oh thanks. Good. I get one thing. <laughs> I'll take it. So um, down on the Gold Coast and you were you side, side hustling, making meals for some of the families you were working with and for? Yeah. So Sarah was studying business and being a PA for a family and she was nannying amongst being their PA and she was cooking and freezing meals for them. And I was manager, managing a cosmetic clinic and nannying on the side as I was working up to that position. And when I said, I can't do that position anymore, um, I can't nanny for you anymore. They said, oh, well, can you just keep cooking us meals? And then I started just cooking to, for them and taking it to work and dropping up to them in the afternoon. And then um, my boss at the cosmetic clinic was like, oh, can you do that for me too? So <laughs> I started this whole cooking side hustle and Sarah was cooking as well. And we were both kind of getting tired of working so hard and being in the city actually. And we're looking for a way to get back to our roots and Back to our family and back home, to closer to the, you know, Wongalee. And so we're, and just because we haven't really established where Wongalee is, so you're, that's near oh, Hewenden, we're near Hewenden in, in North Queensland. Yeah, yeah, North Queensland, half an hour outside of Hewenden, yeah. And, um, yeah, we just, I think we probably put all of our heads together, mum and dad included, they were keen to get us back and just went like, well, let's, Let's take all of this, all of these elements and put it together and make something of it. And that was Black Rock. So uh, you know, I, I love the idea of that, you know, it, it spawned from those appreciation of family meals together around the table and having them, you know, t- together and, and in the kitchen and the, the love of cooking. I know, Sarah, yourself, you're proud flag bearer for the non-cooks although I'm sure you're perfect in in some realms um but but Casey you you really enjoy that side of it so after all of those years of of cooking for other people what kept you so interested in cooking like what about it really that you love look I love bringing everyone around a dinner table yeah I like the praise I get from putting a good meal on the table too (laughs) but 
So there is a bit I of ego love- involved there somewhere then. Oh, well, maybe a little bit. I'm not good at a lot of things. That is something I'm okay at. Well, you are. <laughs> but I, um, I, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm fairly creatively driven and cooking is an opportunity to be creative and it's something I've grown up doing with my gran and my nana and my mum. Um, and so I think, I know, it's, it's a little bit of a role and hobby I took on as the oldest daughter, I think, in a large family growing up. And and I've asked you this before, but I'll ask you again in this context because, you know, your recipes are generally in your head too. You don't use a lot of recipe books, mainly for inspiration. A lot of these recipes and even some of the Black Rocks are, you know, out of out of your creative mind. Yeah, I am. A, I, am a, I do like to throw things together as opposed to following a recipe. I will say um, as time passes, I am becoming more partial to looking through recipe books, but I, I would do that. I'd take on bits and pieces from what my grand or my nana or my mum did and mix the parts I like and then find something um, in a recipe book and go, oh, I like that, you know, addition to this. And I think I probably a role like that. I take all the bits and pieces from all the different, you know, areas I've learned things and pull it together. Perfect. Well, let's talk about because it, the beef that you use for Black Rock um, and the business is from the home property, isn't it? So how important is it to keep that supply chain and use the, the beef from home? Oh, um, well, that's the main reason we sort of, like, we do it as well is to get our beef, which we think is, you know, sensational. Like sometimes I think from a marketing standpoint and in the butchers and in grocery stores, sometimes Brahmin beef doesn't, it's not got a whole lot of like support or backing in terms of marketing and branding behind it. But I think that some of the best beef, well, I know personally, I, don't have, I haven't just eaten at home, but I think it's some of the best beef I've ever had. So, um, being able to enjoy and I really, we wanted to get that out to the market as well. We wanted to be able to get that out to other consumers to better try and it's not just all, um, it, you know, and in home style meals as well. It's not, it's not presented, you can't, you know, a la carte type thing. These sort of things. These are just home-style meals that you generally have in the freezer, things that mum or nana or grand, like you said, would traditionally make and everybody can enjoy. These are, these are ones for, like, the whole family. And that's, I guess that's the point as well, is mostly just to get everyone around the table enjoying it and less time in the kitchen. But back to the point of using the beef, originally we sort of started just, as we came out of a, well, we weren't even out of it yet, but the idea was thrown around while we're in the middle of a drought, one of the worst that we've had. Um, and we wanted and to have always secure a direct market, like direct chain, um, point to market with our beef, always have um, like an option to sell. And so that's why we used our beef as well. So we, we knew where it was always going to be going. And as- naively, sorry, naively, Jane, we thought we could um- – we thought we could create – this was when the um, effects of, um, you know, the interruptions to live export were happening as well and, and the drought was very prominent. We naively thought we could, you know, create a demand for our beef. Um, we have not come that far yet, <laughs> but that was another part of the another part of the puzzle of how Blackrock Beef came to be and why we chose to use our beef. But that, that can come too because, and we'll get into that, the growth of your business. As you have grown, has supply of the family beef become an issue? Like have you had to source other other people's beef? No, plenty of cows out there. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Excellent. 
And it, I don't even think I, I don't think they're missing too many actually. Um, they wouldn't notice. No, <laughs> it's it hasn't. But it's more um, as we diversify into other products as well. So we one of our top sellers is in fact one of is the chicken and leek parcel and pie. Um, and so you know we're not running any poultry farm. So we've got um, we have had to outsource for chicken. And then in the very near future, we're also outsourcing a couple of other um, main ingredients as well. So, yeah, we haven't had to, you know, we haven't had to go far for um, beef, but yeah, definitely, definitely the main ingredients we will have to. And how have you found consumer demand? Like we heard a lot, certainly through COVID, it's like everyone all of a sudden realised that their food came from somewhere and were very interested in, you know, um, the backstory and, and origin and, and um, traceability and all of those issues that the beef industry has been very passionate about for a long time. So what have you heard from your customers in terms of uh, the traceability or, or the backstory of, of your products? I so, think – oh, you go, Casey. Sorry. I think our story is like a really big part of why customers might try our things in the first place. Mm-hmm. Besides our packaging has a bit of charm on the shelves, I think if they – have seen us on Instagram or heard us on a podcast, which they haven't because this will be our first one, <laughs> or <laughs> read about us in a magazine. I think our story and the fact that, you know, we are sixth generation graziers taking the beef direct from land and, you know, it's all very a wholesome story. I think that's a really big part of our marketing strategy. Not that we really have a huge strategy in place, but, you know, that is a big part of why people want to, they want to be a part of that story, I think, and they want to support it. And they, I think they really enjoy knowing where it came from, where even the recipe, you know, where the heart and soul of the entire meal and concept comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What feedback do you have from your customers in terms of of that story? Like, obviously, it, it works for you in, in the marketing sense, but do people genuinely engage with it? Do you hear from customers? So we, much. Yeah, so much. we do. They yeah. really Probably what enjoy this it. driving force is that um, contact with people and them writing in and her being able to write back and connect with people when they, well, one, offer such lovely feedback and, two, have a genuine interest in that product traceability. So where, like, they say, oh, tell us more. Oh, can like, where can we see the property or where can we see the cattle, you know, and we direct them then to the Instagram, which Casey does such a good job of posting, you know, a wide range of content then for people to, you know, show interest in. Mm-hmm. And and it is. It's really highly engaged. So that's wonderful. I think that's one of the main things is being able to have a, um, a platform that just sort of exhibit where, the beef comes from, what the family lifestyle is like almost. I mean, it's not – you can't show everything. You're <laughs> going to show us sitting down at the table and saying, oh, we've come up against this mighty big problem. We can't get freight down south. No, you know, mm. whatever it is. Missing leaks. Um, missing leaks in the morning. Missing leaks. Missing leaks yeah. in the morning. <laughs> really, it's one fire after another. But, um, yeah, so I think that is one of the best – points of contact also in 2016 17 18 19 we put a massive effort into going down to all of our stockers so as far down as time victoria and we did um direct selling so we went to the stores that we were our products were stocked in and we would spend days selling the product telling the story um mum would be out in the little like in the designated kitchen area, whatever there was at the shop at the time. Um, we'd take a little portable oven down there, bake up the products, mini case pesticides, 
we came in that around the store and people were so interested in the story and it was a really good opportunity to tell it, especially to people who there was such a massive disconnect. So getting to tell our version, which for so many of our consumers and first-time buyers then, it was the first time they're hearing anything like this. They thought the product was actually made in Victoria, wow. like just in a big factory somewhere there. So they said, so you, you, actually, you actually grow the cows as well and then you take them to the butcher and then you make this from it. They said, so we could make this if we went to the butcher as well. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but that real connection, people are miss, still missing the connection of, 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 I just feel like there's still quite a big disconnection for a lot of Australians on, on that paddock to plate mentality. Yeah, and I think that there is a real reason for that. And I think it's because in our industry, there's, well, this is just my opinion. I find that there is just this increment of shame and also this really sensitive side to the industry, which is obviously the killing of an animal. And it's not something that I find that there's a lot of, obviously, you know, it's something that we sort of brush under the rug, so to speak, a little bit like, oh, no, look at this beautiful steak, but we don't really want to show you where it came from because it's not pretty. Sorry, um, this is only, and she's saying it's but only brushing us under the rug when we're showing it to our inner well, city. I wouldn't even say part. that it's us because we don't actually do that part. So we couldn't even film that part if, you know, we couldn't even expose that part if we wanted to. Mm. And, and we don't, but I do feel like in our industry, it's a little bit hard to close that gap between this is where your food comes from when we're missing in the storytelling portion there's a big chunk that we don't show. Exactly. And there's a myriad of reasons. for that to land in any kind of, an, a, you know, nice way. Exactly. And there's a myriad of reasons why you don't um, as well. Like it would be very difficult. Have you, have you ever been to an abattoir? Have you ever been on to of a kill force? it's so confronting. It's not something that you want to be like, yeah, and then we do this bit and then we do that bit and look at this. Like, yeah, no, well, and that not- whole, it's so hard. Well, I find it difficult to tell too when it when it stops <laughs> being an animal and becomes meat, like when it's going yes. through that whole kill floor chain. So I do wonder if there's ever going to be a narrative that's strong enough um, and that people can accept to actually be able to close that gap and sort of, yeah, I think I think like we take the shadow off of it and, and shed some light and then there might be less of a disconnect, but I, I'm not sure if that is even possible. Wow, Sarah. So I think that's a fascinating way of thinking about that um, because it certainly is the reality but an uncomfortable one. Following on from what Sarah said, I know there have been times that on social media when I started out, you know, I was going really strong and I pulled back completely because I'd get a couple of comments. So I'd put a picture up of a of a beautiful little, you know, mother and calf in the in the paddock and stuff and there'd be a beautiful kind of picturesque moment and then somebody's like, don't tell me you're going to kill that. Don't tell me that's what we're eating. And that's what I, it I is. Like, that picture oh, is just... a moment. That picture is a moment in such a greater, bigger story for not just – yeah, not just for our social media. It's not just to get, you know, cute animal hype at all. It's just it's so much – it's a part of such a bigger story and it needs to be there. But, yeah, I think – and, Casey, you're, like, quite sensitive to people, like, confronting messages like that and, and like, that was the hardest part about social media as well because um, a lot of people worry about them are very unafraid to sort of – despite the fact that you're a person, you probably feel the same way, you're a business, you're a family – this is your livelihood. Um, yeah, no, no whole part in just absolutely feeding it to us about it. So mm. I think, yeah, you just, yeah, some comments are diamonds, some comments are stones out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can, can, and people will throw them. <laughs> people can and will throw them, definitely. Mm-hmm. So a little bit more um, about about BlackRock because, you know, we've, we've talked about that and I love the points you've brought up, but, you know, you, you've purchased another big building in Townsville to, to take it to the next level and, and to really have. start. Yeah. Yes, game changer. It is a game changer. So tell us, you know, I, I love the fact that you started as a doing all the cooking yourselves and imagine you and, you know, both. We don't. We didn't love that. That was really, really hard. We didn't enjoy it. We didn't love it much. <laughs> but then tell me about that because it, it was a really difficult time for you and you're both having babies and getting married and, and building this business. So tell us about those early days, sweating out in the kitchen, which you didn't love, but it was very much the reality. It's not even the sweating or the hard work that got me. It was, in fact, the, it was that we knew where our capacity in our sales, like our actual output, like our numbers, they were capped out within the first year. We were never going to be able to make more than that with the resources we had on hand, with the equipment, with the size of the facility, with the amount of staff you could even safely put into the space. Um, we were capped out within the first year. There was no, we couldn't make any more than that. So our next move, we knew, was years away, years before we could invest. So we just had to keep sort of tracking along, like, also tracking, punishing ourselves, um, doing the same thing and knowing that like there was going to be no growth for so many years. That was very hard, especially when you're trying to keep the momentum going for brand new business. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then Casey, I'll let you trigger your PTSD by telling by talking about how um, <laughs> oh, thank how you for <laughs> Oh yeah. Um so there were days and nights there. We were starting at four and finishing at ten and I know like most you know, lots of people work that hard, but it was it was pretty insane to be doing that in the kitchen and then having to go home and find time to actually work on the business. That was something we were really struggling with. We ended up expanding to five states, probably a little so bit prematurely because yeah. we couldn't keep up with the demand and we had to pull back and just service Queensland um, until now, which is when we're ready to, you know, expand our reach a bit more. But one of the hardest things we came up against is I got a surprise um, in 2017 and I was pregnant. Hooray, and it was a happy just, surprise. It was a very oh, happy surprise. It was wonderful. It was just the best it timing ever. Of the, it wasn't part of the strategy. <laughs> it was part of the strategy to punish ourselves further a little bit in the business. Um, so I was taking, I think at three months, I went, back to work and I was taking my little baby boy in there chopping onions all day and watching him cry and at the time it was myself Sarah and our now sister-in-law Brie um, working in the kitchen and it was just um, it was horrible actually it was yeah like Sarah said it triggers my PTSD yeah, it doesn't sound <laughs> great it doesn't fun time. It wasn't ideal, starting very early, finishing very late, having a baby in there all day, you know, you get covered in a bit of, um, you know, get a bit of mince on you and a bit of onion on you and then you'd be trying to change your shirt to, to feed in the middle of the day and, you know, the, the smell of onion would, his pram, his cot, everything smelt like onion. If that oh that um, vegetable leaves a stain of stench. And it would be, is <laughs> it triggering for him now? Like memory, when obviously. <laughs> Very triggering for us now. Yep, still. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so outsourcing the onions was the first priority in terms of the new business expansion. Oh, you would think we would do that, but no, we could save a few cents. So we, you know, per kilo. So what we did instead is buy a food prep machine and we continue to do it on our own. Yeah. I so, think um, 
we've spoken to you earlier again but about this but when we first started Sarah and I were also we moved to Townsville and we moved into the same one bedroom unit together the bathroom was a meter away from us so we were you know sleeping in the same bed actually and how to get to know your sister slash business partner this sounds (laughs) like you girls aren't being kind to each other or yourselves are you (laughs) we were we just fought like crazy and I remember back then people used to um occasionally would have an interview and, like, and how do you get along like, oh it's fine we have a little fight and we have a cup of tea and get over it and we just kind of like look at each other like well you know just you know the tea might be hurt. wine and it might be an hour or two not immediate it's fine <laughs> don't worry about it what it was it was a thousand teas over probably three years before we really worked out how to work together and live together and socialize together and you know everything so you what's it, what like what what drives that kind of perseverance? Because you had the end game, you knew what you were doing, you were tied to the family business through through the beef supply and you obviously really wanted to make this work. So having such a intense home life as well as going into the kitchen and then working together for over 12 hours, what drives that perseverance to make it work? Um, we started something, so therefore you have to finish it. Isn't that the way? Wait, isn't that what everyone has to do? <laughs> mum, mum, is that you? I can hear in my voice, in my head. <laughs> you? Yeah, I think that's it. Like that, it just didn't even seem like an option to not finish. It also, this was going to this business was going to allow us the chance to stay connected. Um, you know, to the family business, to stay connected and close to our home and give us a really good reason to go home more often than we usually would because we obviously really miss Longley and miss being out there. It was going to give us the opportunity to, you know, our, our brothers and mum and dad all work together. It was going to give us an opportunity to, to stay in that little, you know, we're, we're pretty molecular. We really do love each other. We really are best friends. So, mm. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, Sarah and I had this big idea that we were going to have a level of flexibility running this, more flexibility than we would having, you know, another nine to five or a six to seven or whatever everyone works in, you know, working for someone else. We we wanted that level of flexibility that we kind of had growing up um, on the station but without being on the station. Yeah. yeah. And are you, are you seeing that now? Like you're obviously still very busy. Yes, and, definitely. Yeah. definitely. Yes, there yeah. is. Yes, We've realised yep. on that. Quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, we have. And we realised that we do have this level of flexibility, but we also have this really high level of commitment. So, for example, when Sarah was giving birth nearly six months ago. Oh, my gosh, this um, is exactly the story that I was hoping you'd tell. Yes, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) When Sarah was giving birth six months ago and I was privileged enough to be in the room to, to witness the birth of my beautiful little niece, Adeline, I was, you know, Sarah had been through one contraction or multiple contractions, but she just finished one. And I like, you know, just tail between my legs, like, Sarah, I'm so sorry I have to do this to you, but I've just got this email and we have to confirm this and, and I don't know how to, con- like, I, I really can't decide this by myself and, you know, mid-contraction, she's like, okay, 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 do that. Oh my God, you could have asked her anything. I feel like <laughs> you could have got a lot through, actually, if you no, played that. Came out, we had a bit of a discussion about it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was, that's the kind of level of commitment you, you kind of have to have. There's no... You know, and I know when I was having my first child, I was quite sick and, you know, she'd, she'd call me, Casey, I'm, I'm really sorry I've got to do this to you while you're in hospital, but I need you to, to do this or I need you to do that. And it wasn't like, a, oh, how dare you ask me, you should take the entire business because 
we just can't make those decisions by ourselves when you're in this like you know partnership kind of thing we have to consult one another and and we don't we're, we're really fortunate in the fact that we do have each other to bounce off and yeah well, your relationship um, is obviously remarkable to be able to, to have that level of commitment and drive that you're both completely on the same path with when you are at such um, busy times of your life, like young parents and that whole work-life balance that I'm not really convinced is a thing, but I'm sure it is for some people. Um, but <laughs> it's, <clears throat> I just really admire that relation. Do you have to, you know, you say that you're close and, and that, that there's plenty of family and friend support around you, but do you have to? Are there times that we really do have to work on that relationship or it really is just as Not idyllic as it sounds? No, it is as idyllic as it sounds it now. We got our we got like now, an yeah. entire lifetime of teething problems out in that first couple of years. Yeah, in the single room There's, bathroom. Yeah, oh I my could, goodness. Yeah, no, that I really like we can just about feel from, you know, when each other's in a in a space and we're like, hey, um, I just got this feeling. How are you going? Like, I think oh. I just need to talk about this one thing for a second, and and then it'll be like, oh, so glad you said that. Yep. Okay. Wow. And you two are next the, level. The funny, <laughs> very much like that. Mm. Yeah. The crazy thing is, we are so so different. Sarah's quite um. I don't know how do we put this, Sarah. I'm very. I don't know. I'm really excited to hear though. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah likes to confront the situation head on, and I like to bury my head at the same time. In I don't. I am not confrontational. Because, I just can't sleep on it. Like I, I mean, yeah. I just can't like put it behind. It's got to be sorted out in a very diplomatic, sensible way. Let's get to the root of the issue. And let's figure this out. I'm all about the resolve. Mm. And I like to hide from any confrontation like that most of the time, which is why Sarah takes on the confronting um, conversations we have to have in our business, and I do not. Um, That's so good. We have learned to work with each other's different personalities because I would say we're we're very alike, but we're also extremely chalk and cheese. But we have really learned to work with one another's differences. Yeah, and that's that's a skill set that that most that a lot of families will never get to. So the fact that you can is is remarkable. I do want to go back to BlackRock because I am conscious of of time, but I do want to go back to BlackRock and just that expansion. We touched on the fact that you'd bought a bigger mm-hmm. facility in Townsville, but I want to know the scale. So how many people have you got helping you now and and on board, and what kind of output have you got? So we have three extra staff members at the moment. Um, but we have had even when we were at the other place as well. So the whole idea behind um, this facility, which we bought as just a um, an empty shell of a shed, and then we did a complete fit out, which between 2020 to 21. Um, Sorry, I have to interject here. Sarah did a complete fit out while I was having my second baby and she handled the entire project pretty much on her lonesome and did a bang up job of that. Awesome. Oh, um yeah so we finished that in 2021 actually signed off on the food license like we got our um yeah city council inspection signed up on the food license in between on the day of my grandfather's funeral actually so that was a big big day yeah so that uh pie machine that we've got on the way its output is about a thousand units per hour um given that the you know the filling ingredient is prepared prior um so that's got it is a lot of pies. So if you're in the market for a thousand pies, yeah, let um, you know. An hour, yeah, mm. no, just anyone, yeah, give us a call. 
<laughs> it's a lot of pies, but the whole idea is just to be able to build this, like we custom built this facility so that everything was automated. It was much easier to operate and we could do it with like a quite a small, very tight team um, and run it very efficiently. Okay. And then so if we operate the kitchen, say, three days a week, then that gives us two days a week to be able to be working on the business, marketing, accounts, sales, socials, all the rest of the things that come with it. So at the moment you're distributing to Queensland, but you're looking to expand to other states. But to be able yeah. to, to, to invest in that kind of machinery, the demand is there. Is it just being able to source those raw ingredients that you, that's holding you back or, or manpower? We believe that demand is there and we have the manpower and once we have the pie machine, you know, the manpower we have will suffice with the more streamlined um, production processes, yes. But um, we are coming up against obstacles and the biggest obstacle we have is logistics. We are really facing a struggle with logistics at the moment and transporting frozen products to places. you know, we're looking for a wholesaler and distributor and we've been turned down by a couple already just on the basis that the logistics is too hard. Um, you know, they want to transport a pallet a week and just you know, when you're starting out, you're not tra- you're not um, meeting those numbers. Mm. So it's like yes, this, it's so this awful uh, circle then when you, mm-hmm. you, you've got the demand, it's there, but you can't get to that point yeah. because the logistics letting you down so we were originally in like i said in 2018-19 we were in um five other states so and also those those contact those um stockers have been great they've said hey we want you back whenever you're ready there's a space in our freezer for you so we really want you back we still get customers asking about the product um you know we're just we're we're on we're waiting on your time now. so basically so, you don't need people who need a thousand pies an hour you need some logistics people to to give you a call more than anything else to sort yeah, that, that side of it yeah that would help yeah. yeah okay i'll see what i can do now i'm conscious of time <laughs> so i need i need to um to let you go but there's a question that we always ask on the beef australia podcast and considering that you two spend all day in the kitchen anyway i feel like this is could be an interesting one because it's either going to go you don't feel like cooking at all and have a freezer full of Black Rock products or um, you're going to get creative and I feel like Casey will be the one for this. But I want to know your oh, favourite <laughs> I want to know your favorite cut of beef. So when you're – I'm going to say cooking for friends um, on, a, on a weeknight kind of deal, what's your favourite cut of beef and how are you cooking it? And we'll start with uh, you, Casey. It's a rib fillet without a doubt. <laughs> it's a rib fillet and it's – a little bit of mustard over it and rolled in cracked pepper and pan fried and then put in the oven and roasted. That is my my, my favourite. That's delicious. It's just, it's just a roast, but it's just something very nostalgic about it. You know, we had a lot of roast when we were growing up, but it's also a little bit, excuse me for lack of a better word, but bougie because it's the rib fillet. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so Moorish and tender and delicious. Um, you know, it's a bit more moreish than the you know top side or a rump or roasting something like that it's um that's my favorite with roast potatoes of course and vegetables that's my my go-to and my favorite oh my goodness I'm so hungry I just I'm really I started this interview hungry I'm really hungry now um Sarah <laughs> what what's your what's your go-to for a pellet right now too okay yeah. um I so this isn't what I would do, but I'm going to talk about an experience that I had with a piece of steak. And yes, it was exactly that. I was at home alone on the cattle property 
Um, no, it was my first breakup actually. And I happened to just be at home on my own. And I was just thinking, what am I going to do? I'm just here on my own. I can either go and grab a couple of beers to sort me out or, and I walked into the freezer and I pulled out this piece right at the bottom, this piece of, um, I fill it. And it, you know, it looked a little, it was definitely had been in there a while and it was quite Um, but I defrosted it and honestly, I didn't need to shed a tear because I had four meals of that I fill it. And honestly, I was not sad anymore. It didn't, it, it just saw me through. And all I did is just, Hot pan, butter, a little bit of thyme, and I was recovered. I was healed from a piece of steak. So <laughs> that's such a good story, thinking, and no hangover. So that's even better. No hangover. I mean, I really wasn't going to go that far as on my, you know, own at home, but still, I didn't even need to cry about it. I was just like, boys, have you tried this piece of steak? <laughs> <laughs> And that is such a great marketing campaign, isn't it? You know, broken hearts healed by a riv, uh, with, yeah, by a an eye fillet. Mm. Yeah, but it really was. And, like, I'm not going to go as, so, as far as that my heart was actually broken. Well, it wasn't any longer after that. <laughs> Holly put me back together. It was so but- good. I talk about this and I still <laughs> think about that steak. It was just a whole fillet. I ate it over four meals and I'm, like, yeah, 0% sad about it. That's fantastic. But, um, I love that story. Also, full disclosure, Jane, if we're having friends over in the middle of the week or on a busy weekend, you can bet your bottom dollar it's probably a black rock pie we're pulling out of no, the freezer. not probably oh. for me. It 100% is and don't come over here thinking you're getting anything else. <laughs> I'm not cooking. And that's why people probably turn up, Sarah. They know that they're going to get black rock. So. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> it's sort of just a given now. It's like, oh, what flavour? Like it doesn't – it's not even a question. It's just like which one are we having? It's like, well, both, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, all of them. <laughs> um, delicious. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Sarah and Casey, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute oh, delight you, to hear more about yeah. the black rock story. And um, I look forward to seeing you at Beef 24. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, Absolutely. indeed. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. That was Casey Bowie and Sarah Anning from Queensland's Black Rock Beef. If you'd like to get in touch about something you've heard on our podcast or have an idea about something you'd like to hear about or who you're from, get in touch through our website or find us on any of our social media platforms. Talk with you again soon. I'm Jane Cudahy. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.